0: Before we come to our teaching uh, for this morning, um, it's been a good first week of, I I set a little challenge for you uh, to take your Mark's Gospels into life and into interesting places in your week and send me a little photograph. Um, And I always love this when we do this. um, And so I want to share a few that have come in this week. Um, There's one from David Penny. Um, I love these ones of, this is Mark's Gospel in the biology classroom uh, where David's getting ready to teach uh, with his little monkey. Which I assume is for teaching biology about monkeys, I don't know. Um, but um, brilliant. I love that, just taking Mark's gospel into the places where we live and work um, every day. Um, there's all those people who try to trump everybody else by sending them from far afield. So here's Karen Gilpin in Athens. I, I don't think she went specially just to win, uh, to win this competition, but um, that's Karen, I assume Karen and Stuart on holiday. And Greece and sending, there's Mark's gospel in Athens. Um, really moved this week, Gillian uh, and Grant. Um, this is Gillian and Grant where in the Sperons uh, at a place called Karos, which is a treatment centre uh, for people with cancer where they get uh, pampered and they get massages and they get um, all kinds of therapies so and they took Mark's gospel with them. Um, so I think actually Sorry, Karen, I think that one wins. Um, and just a, a reminder and an encouragement just to keep praying for Grant and Jillian and the journey that they're on. Um, and one last one, which is um, breaking the rules slightly, but uh, I, I need to share this one. Um, many of you will know Genevieve. Some of you don't know Genevieve. She hasn't been able to be with us since COVID because uh, of ill health. Um, but Genevieve sent these in with a little explanation, which I want to read you. Um, she says, on the left... Um, is a copy of Mark's gospel, which the Lord used in the welcome group uh, to open my eyes and heart towards him in October 1981. That's the actual gospel that was used in introducing Genevieve to Jesus um, in 1981, and it's been her favorite gospel ever since. On the right um, is a special edition of Mark's gospel. Um, A few years later, uh, Genevieve was involved with her husband um, in planting a church, in a place called Cranham, Um, and this was in 1983. And the two churches, the Sending Church and the Daughter Church, distributed the Gospel of Mark door-to-door to to every home in the parish, which led to conversations and invites, and many came to faith. Um, And apparently, if you zoomed in, I'll send this out during the week, um, you can actually see, in the photograph on the Gospel, you can see Genevieve and her husband, Peter, and their two children, and their friend who led Genevieve to faith. Um, and so Genevieve wanted me to say this, she's around the corner and I'm sure watching us online uh, this morning. Uh, she says, my testimony is that it was through hearing and reading Mark's gospel that I met Jesus. I found him to be true and he continues revealing more of himself in all the years I've known him. In turn, I'm now compelled to introduce him to those who've not met him. So let us be of good courage, let us overcome our reticence, our shyness, and pray that we will be used by him to share his good news. And then she said at the end, P.S., can I have two more copies of the gospel to give away to people uh, that I know? Uh, And by the way, the answer to that is yes. If anybody would like more, we have lots of them if you want to give them to your neighbors um, and give them away. But I hope you're encouraged as I was. Um, And thank you to Genevieve for taking time to send in uh, the photos on that story. So... um, you have, a lot, you have a lot to beat if you want to send one in this week. But I do. I love seeing just the ordinary photos of Mark's gospel in the midst of life. So do send those in, uh, whatever you're doing this week. Um, let me, before we come to read uh, scripture this morning, um, let me introduce you to two people. Uh, they are made-up people with stock photos, so these are not real people. Um, let me introduce you. This is James. Um, I want you to, to listen and see which one of these two people you most recognize yourself in or sympathize with. Um, James is really, really kind. He is, he's a very generous person, a very compassionate person. James is the kind of guy who notices the people around him. And he takes time to get to know them. And he listens to them. He goes, he's the kind of guy who goes way out of his way to help people. And he gives his time, and he gives his skills, and he gives his money to really practically help uh, those who are around him. When his colleague was going through marriage trouble, um, James offered him a sofa to sleep on and a listening ear and encouragement. When he discovered that his elderly neighbour was really lonely, James started to visit from time to time, would pick up shopping, would take them to hospital appointments. When he discovered that a friend was struggling to pay the bills, he quietly found a way to get him some help with getting his oil tank filled and getting groceries. When a family member was struggling with serious depression, James was the one who was really there to listen uh, and to signpost them to help uh, that they could get. James does all those things because he's a disciple of Jesus, because he's a follower of Jesus, and he he prays regularly for his friends and colleagues and neighbours. But James never really talks to his friends about Jesus. He never really invites them to church or offers to pray with them. Um, If you ask James about it, he says he really doesn't want to be pushy. He doesn't want to shove his faith faith down anybody's throat. He doesn't want to treat anybody as, as an evangelistic project. And so James prefers to just set a quiet example. And he quietly gets on with loving his friends and praying for them. That's James. What do you think of James? Do you see yourself in James? I don't know. Um, Here is Jessica. Jessica is really, really bold. She is excited about what Jesus has done in her own life. She's passionate about telling others about Jesus. Her prayer every morning when she gets out of bed is that God will give her opportunities today to talk about Jesus to somebody. And she talks about Jesus to everyone. She talks about Jesus to her colleagues in work, to her neighbours, to the postman, to the lady at the checkout in Tesco, to her hairdresser, to the stranger beside her in the doctor's waiting room. She invites people to church, to Alpha. She offers to pray for people. She asks them if they'd like to read Mark's gospel with her. She shares her testimony. Jessica doesn't really know her neighbours and colleagues very well. She doesn't actually really know about their divorces or their depression or their financial struggles or their health worries or their loneliness. She, sometimes in her enthusiasm, she doesn't really ask them much about their lives. She doesn't really sometimes notice the signs of what's going on with them. And they don't tend to open up to her. And sometimes they even keep their distance a little bit. It's James. And Jessica, I wonder, do you recognise yourself as more of a James or more of a Jessica? Wonder which one you sympathise with more? Wonder which one you admire more? Or let me ask a difficult question. Which one of them is a more faithful disciple of Jesus? Right. Let you think about that. I'm not. We'll, we'll see as we go. Um, let's read together from Mark chapter 2. And I guess... As we read this passage we're reading mark through the lens of what does it mean to be a follower of jesus Um, and maybe as we read this time ask how this passage might challenge both james and jessica in different ways so um, brilliant uh, story from mark chapter 2 reading from the beginning of the chapter and this is what it says a few days later when jesus again entered capernaum The people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Um, it's a really famous story, it's one people love. It's, we love to tell the kids because it's very dramatic with the hole in the roof and, um, and all of that. Um, but This morning I want to ask you, um, how might that, chale- that passage be challenging for the two people we described at the beginning, and maybe for the part of you that is like James or the part of you that's like Jessica. And so I want to ask, first of all, how might this passage be challenging for James? And I want to immediately suggest it's challenging for James because Jesus places such a priority on sharing the gospel. Um, You think about this story and you think, You know, it's a a very dramatic scene with the crowd filling the house, and it's standing room only. There's no room; they're spilling out of the house. People standing outside. Nobody can get in. And if you ask why why is that crowd pressing in, what are they looking for? And probably our best guess would be: well, probably some of them are curious because they've heard about Jesus and the miracles and the healing and the teaching and everything else, and they're hoping for drama. They're hoping for excitement. They're hoping for miracles. I think we can be pretty sure some of them are there because they're desperate and they're hoping for healing and they've heard about what Jesus has been doing and they're there in desperation. And what does the story say? As that crowd presses in out of their curiosity and their desperation, what does Jesus do? It says he preached the word to them. And I wonder maybe as we're reading the story, does that seem a little bit undramatic? a little bit anti you're waiting for fireworks, you're waiting for a miracle, you're waiting for drama, and Jesus preaches the message of the good news to them. We already know from Mark chapter 1, this was the primary and central priority for Jesus. He began his public ministry by going around Galilee, preaching, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news, announcing the good news of the kingdom, calling people to make a response. That's how Jesus began his public ministry. And then, as we saw, as we read on in Mark chapter 1, when the crowd was getting bigger and there were more and more people and more and more needs and more and more miracles happening, Jesus said, we need to go on to the next village. We need to go on to the other towns so that I can preach there also because that is why I've come. And so, as you read already in the beginning of Mark, you realize healing the sick is really important to Jesus, and driving out demons is really important to Jesus, and he does that a lot. But there is something really basic and central and primary about preaching the word, about sharing the good news of the gospel and the good news of the kingdom. Um, And so, this is challenging. Um, If we are people who just want to be kind and compassionate, but never say anything about Jesus. This is challenging. This is a central priority for Jesus. And then think a bit more with me about the story. You know, you think, why did these men, you know, the, the bit that we love of the story, the making the hole in the flat roof and digging through it with their hands, and I'm sure the homeowner was delighted uh, to get a hole in the roof, and they lower the man in, and you think, why did those friends bring their friend to Jesus? And I think we're pretty sure the main reason was they were hoping that Jesus could make him walk, right? They were hoping for that miracle of healing for their paralyzed friend. And what does Jesus say? As we read the story, I think it's the most surprising moment. He says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And if you have been there, I think you might have looked around. Anybody would have looked around in surprise and said, that's a, w- a strange way to respond. We're bringing our friend, One thing is legs to be healed, One thing is body to be healed, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Um, maybe I want to suggest, if that's our honest response, and I think that's a very honest human response, um, it shows that maybe we haven't understood something yet, which is that the deepest need every human being has is the problem of their heart. Um, as human beings, we have all kinds of other needs, And messes and brokenness and wounds of our body and our minds and our relationships. And there's all kinds of other needs that we have that often are more obvious. They're the big flashing light that you see when you look at somebody. You see the brokenness and the mess. Um, Often we think those other needs are the ones that are most pressing and most urgent. But I want to suggest this story and the way Jesus behaves um, points us to this truth That the heart of our problem is the problem of our heart, that our our hearts are entangled by sin, that our hearts have gone astray, that our hearts are sick and in need of healing. And so this is a healing story, but it's about healing on every level, right? There's a a beautiful thing that you can trace through the Bible where the word healing and the word salvation um, in in the languages of the Bible are very closely related. Um, Salvation is the deepest kind of healing that God wants to bring to our lives. Jesus could have healed the man's legs, and the man could have gone off um, delighted to to, to have his, his legs work again. But Jesus could have left his heart sick and lost and enslaved. And one of the questions we need to wrestle with is, would that have been more kind and loving and compassionate of Jesus? To just do that but instead Jesus goes after the heart there's something in this story that's telling us Jesus has come to heal all that is broken in our world in fact all that is broken in creation but he, he wants to go and he needs to go to the very heart of the problem and heal our sin sick hearts and reconcile us to the God who loves us because from that place when the heart starts to get mended from that place healing can flow to the rest of creation. And so Jesus, in his mission of rescue, and his mission of healing, goes right to the heart of the problem um, and goes to the the problem of sin. And so I think there's something in this story that's challenging for James. James, um, I I love people like James, and James really cares about his neighbours. And he does such a good job of loving them well in so many ways. Maybe I want to suggest his love is not quite complete because the one thing that his neighbours and colleagues need the most is to have their sins forgiven and their hearts healed and to be reconciled to God and find their true identity as his children. And so if James wants to love like Jesus loved, he needs to sometimes take a risk. And by the way, he doesn't need to become rude or pushy or aggressive and all those things he's scared of being. But he does need to be a little bit bold um, and maybe ask one of those people as he is with them, can I pray with you? Can I share with you the difference that Jesus has made in my life? I wonder, would you want to come to church with me or come to Skeptics Cafe with me? And maybe take that little risk to love in that fuller way uh, with those he's with. So that's how I think the story is challenging for James and maybe for the James uh, in each of us. Um, but let me, let's me let change um, angle and ask how might this passage be challenging for Jessica, Jessica who's so bold, who talks to everybody every day all the time about Jesus. Um, let's go back and consider those friends again. I think when we read this story um, we're often drawn to these friends. People always, by the way, tend to assume there were four friends. It doesn't tell us that, but I think it's because you need one for each corner of the the carrying thing uh, that you need you need for. Um, but I find these friends really challenging. Their their commitment to their paralyzed friend is amazing. Um, they not only carry him to the house, make sure that he's not left out as everybody's going to see Jesus, but when they see the crowd, they don't just give up and go, well, there's no way we're getting in there with the stretcher. Um, They are so tenacious. They're so desperate to help their friend that they go to these extraordinary lengths of climbing up on the roof with the guy on the mat and digging through the the clay and the dirt of the, the flat ceiling that would have been typical in that culture and lowering him down into the presence of Jesus. I love the tenacity of their practical concern for their friend. And as we already said, Um, I don't think, we don't know for sure, I don't think their initial focus was on their friend's soul and his spiritual need. I think they care about their friend as a whole person and they really, really want them to be able to walk again. And they've heard that Jesus can do that. They've heard that Jesus has done that and so they bring their friend. They're willing to do anything that might help their friend. Um, I hope you've got one or two friends like that who would do anything for you, who would make a hole in the roof for you, um, to fight for you in that kind of way for your for your good. Then I want us to notice what Jesus does. Jesus tells the man his sins are forgiven. We've seen that bit already. But then Jesus doesn't leave him on the mat. Jesus doesn't say to the man, the needs of your body don't matter. Um, we know how the story ends. He tells the man to rise up and walk. He tells him to take his mat. Um, and he walks out in full view of everybody. And in that moment, Jesus shows that he has authority in every sphere of life. Right. And also that he cares about every sphere of life. Not just about the spiritual, but also the physical. Not just about the soul, but also the body not just about sin, but also about sickness. Um, Maybe sometimes we think or we talk as if Jesus is a specialist who only deals with souls. Um, He forgives sins, he reconciles people to God, he gets them ready for heaven, he gives them eternal life. And we, we think that's what he cares about, and that's where his power lies, his authority lies. But actually, Jesus is the Lord of all creation. He is the king of all the earth. And he's come to bring healing to all that is broken. Um, He's come to make all things new. He's come to deal with sin, but also with all the effects of sin that have caused so much damage and wreckage in our world. And so if the story challenges James to be a little more bold and open his mouth and talk about Jesus, I want to suggest that this story maybe challenges Jessica, that Jessica needs to see the people around her the way Jesus sees them, not just as souls needing to be saved, but as whole people needing to be loved, as hurting and broken people needing all kinds of healing. Maybe Jessica needs to learn to slow down a little bit and notice the people around her and listen to what's going on in their lives and what's going on beneath the surface. She needs to learn to do what she can, like the friends in this story, to love in action, to do what she can to care practically for those that she is in relationship with. Um, The Apostle John writes in his first letter that if we have the physical means to help someone in need, and we don't have pity on them. In other words, if we don't do anything, he says, then the love of God is not in us. And he goes on to say, let's not love just with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. Jessica is so good at loving people with her words by making sure they hear the good news about Jesus. Maybe she needs that little challenge to also love in action, to also love in all kinds of practical ways as she cares for people. Maybe in the end I'm saying um, James needs to become a little bit more like Jessica. This is why we're we're put in community with each other, because where I'm strong, you might be weak, and where you're strong, I might be weak. James could do with becoming a little more like Jessica, a little bit bolder in speaking the name of Jesus um, with the people that he's with. Jessica, I think, could do with becoming a little bit more like James. And learning how to love and listen um, and care for the people around her a little kinder Um, or to put it another way which is a better way both of them could do with becoming a little more like jesus or a lot more like jesus um, as they follow him and maybe as i finish um just to give a really practical example this is this is something we can do uh, the things that we've been talking about in all the spaces of our lives as we we live our lives but I want to suggest one really practical example of what we've been talking about is the teams that go out from this church on a Saturday morning um, under the banner of Digging Deeper. Uh, they don't actually have a banner. They have a, a, I would say a wagon, a trailer, uh, with the, the Digging Deeper slogan, and they go out into the heights. Um, and they work to tidy up people's messy gardens, um, especially people who may be through illness or old age or... Um, difficulties in their lives, are not able to care for their own gardens, and the team go in and they prune and um, dig and cut grass and tidy up uh, people's gardens in all kinds of ways. And they offer friendship if people want it, to sit with them and have a cup of tea and talk with them. Some of the people they visit with are lonely, maybe don't have anybody to to chat with. And they offer prayer. They always ask, could we pray with you uh, before we go? And they look for opportunities, if the opportunities are there, to talk about Jesus, to invite people to come to church um, and those kind of things as well. And of course, the Digging Deeper team would love every person in the Heights to come to know Jesus, right? And that is a, a really, really good thing to desire and pray for, right? that everybody in the Heights would come to know Jesus. That is the heart of God. That's what God wants. That's the heart of Jesus.